0: Today we're going to do something a little different. Um, I thought it would be useful. We receive a lot of questions from people who are listening to our show, and I thought this might be a good opportunity for me to provide my perspective just of being a patient for, you know, since 48 years. I can't believe I've been living with this illness for so long. And what I've learned from recording kidney talk for over 10 years. I mean, it's it's like I should have a master's degree by now of all the information I've garnered from the hundreds of really intelligent guests that I've had. So so let's start. So one of the questions we often hear is what can I eat? Now, that's a really interesting and interesting question because it's going to change in what stage of kidney disease you have. What I've learned is, and I'm not a medical professional, so this is just from my perspective, is that you're going to be in different stages. You're going to be either maybe you've you have you are on dialysis, you are uh, have a transplant, or you may be diagnosed with one of the stages, uh, one, two, three, four, and then when you're at stage five, you go on dialysis or need a transplant. And one of the things I've learned is that you really need to talk to your doctor, but when people are in stages one, two, three, and 4, many years ago, there was a lot of literature about there to eat a really low, low-protein diet. And what some of the literature is saying today is that that is not always a good idea. And, and again, you need to talk to your doctor about this. But oftentimes, you end up getting malnourished, and you leave yourself open for infection. So that's one thing I've learned. You need a healthy albumin no matter what stage you're at. When you're on dialysis, you're going to have different requirements because you might be fluid-restricted. I know home dialysis always gave me a little bit more liberty in eating and drinking. But you're really going to have to pay attention to your lab values and, and talk to your dietitian because it differs from everybody. And then when you get a transplant, everything switches. You got to drink a lot of fluid, and and you know you're gonna be on steroids. It's gonna make you hungry, and you're gonna be able to eat a lot of the things you may not um, been able to eat in the past. So you really have to understand what what your calorie limit is, and it's hard to lose weight when you're on steroids. So if you can get a handle of it, it's it's really good. So that's that would be my advice on what I can eat, and you really need to connect and and learn what's best for you. The next thing I've heard is, you know, how do you eat a healthy diet when you're on dialysis? And we're really lucky because Sarah Carlson recorded a show for us called Personal Renal Chef for the Weekend. And you you listen to it and you can hear all the great things that she would re- repair for you. And we have a great thing on RSNhope.org called a web link ID. And all you have to do is go look for that on our website and plug in number 926 and that interview will pop up. The next thing that we get a lot of questions is about symptoms. Um, I'm itching a lot, my skin is breaking out when you're on dialysis, it could be because of phosphorus, uh, it could be that you have um, your PTH could be too high. Uh, if you're itching, it could be that you're, um, you know, you just have some dry skin because when you need to really, I, I needed to put a lot of lotion on when I was on dialysis. And it's just the worst thing in the world to itch. So, You need to be on top of your lab values first because that can have a lot to do with it. I know when my phosphorus got a little bit high, I started itching. And it was that kind of itch that you couldn't really get to. I mean, it felt like it was coming from an internal, not an outer itch. Then we always get the question of is, you know, why is my mouth so dry during dialysis? And again, I'm not an expert, but I have a transplant and my mouth is dry. A lot of times and sometimes medication can do that sometimes it's because your different you know aspects they take a lot of fluid off and you know sometimes you just need to drink if you're a transplant patient you know it's giving you a clue you need to drink but one thing that was really helpful for me when it, it gets too severe especially when I was on dialysis is there's a product called biotin and it helps with dry mouth you may want to check into that Uh, One of the other questions we get is, (laughs) what helps with restless leg syndrome? (laughs) And, you know, I had that as when your legs want to bounce and it's just you just can't get comfortable. And we just did an interview um, with sleep disorders that touches upon restless leg by Dr. Hakimi. And, again, if you go to weblink ID uh, 1091, you can learn a little bit more about it. But one of the things that I found about, you know, what's the cause of restless leg syndrome? And what I learned was that, you know, they don't really always know. Sometimes it's a chemical imbalance. Um, There's different things that can cause like your nerves to fire wrong or movement and – there is some medication available for it, and you need to, if, if it's bothering you and your legs are kind of bouncing, talk to your doctor about it because it can be, it can even wake you up and interrupt with your sleep. And I don't know about you, but if, if I'm sleepy and I'm hungry, um, I'm going to take one of the slogans from one of the uh, companies, I don't even know one of the food chains, that if I'm hangry, nobody else is happy. Another question we get a lot is about infection. <laughs> And I have, I'm a big animal advocate. I have uh, four dogs, a cat and a parrot and I, I, you know, animals are my life. And I often hear from people who, who have been diagnosed that their doctor tells them that they can't have their animals, they can't do this, they can't do that. And I have to tell you that, you know, you have to be careful and you have to understand uh, how you need to protect yourself by, you know, keeping your dog and cat and clean and, you know, the litter box, different things like that. But one of the things that I think really is helpful to understand it, because sometimes doctors don't always understand, and they just go with the most extreme. And I know for me that if if a doctor told me to get rid of my animals, to get a transplant or something like that, I would be devastated, absolutely devastated. And you need to do some due diligence to find out what's right for you. But we have this incredible interview by Dr. Zawowski, and he's an infectious disease doctor at Cedars Sinai, and he works with transplant patients. And he did one of the most incredible kidney talk interviews that I learned so much about um, animals and how you can protect yourself so you don't get an infection. and the the web ID access is, nine nine three and it's an interview called don't bug me so anyways um that's one of the things that you might want to um check out if you're hearing anything that may impact your relationship with your beloved pet and another question we often get is can you know infections be transmitted to you know the technicians and i've learned over the time there are a lot of different ways that you get an infection. And you can get it through direct contact, you know just of somebody of um, it it could be like touching the infected person, you know, such as shaking their hands or I don't think you're kissing anybody in the in the dialysis unit or the transplant clinic, but that's one of the ways you can get an infection. So that can be co- applied through patient to professional. Um in direct contact, sometimes you know, if uh, some things like if you're on an airplane and somebody is breathing the air and I, I've luckily never gotten sick from flying and I've flown flown all over. but it's it's um really important, like if you're around somebody sick and you need to wear a mask, especially if you have a transplant. and also, I mean it's it's a little horrific, but We've heard about that staph aureus, that MRSA, that ugly flesh-eating disease, bacteria, whatever, that people go to gyms and different places to, to you know, they get it at the gym or they get it at uh, um, playing sports. And one of the most important things that I've learned about controlling infection is I always cover an open wound. And I always have antimicrobial cream and a Band-Aid with me the majority of the time. So if I nick myself or cut myself, I immediately cover it up. And that really is important. Of course, we all know when we have a cold that we sneeze in our our elbow. We don't, you know, sneeze in our hand and we wash our hands. Uh, You can also get infected from needle stick infections. I mean, people who are on dialysis have... Uh, we're at risk for hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and there's vaccines for hep B. But, uh, you know, everybody's at risk if um, from a needle stick infection if you're uh, especially the provider. And then, um, of course, just... Uh, And I heard of this once, but like airborne diseases, sometimes there's different parts of the country that, you know, a fungus can be blowing and you need to be aware of it. Uh, There's different types of fungus, bacteria, viruses, and at the end of the day, we all need to take universal precautions. And if you don't know what that is, Google it and make sure you wash your hands and um, make sure that you don't infect other people. So that's all I have to say about some of the questions we've had about infection for right now. Uh, the next thing is is we get this question a lot from caregivers, and they they ask us, you know, how can I help my loved one um, without becoming so overbearing? You know, they just were diagnosed; they may not be on dialysis. And I think it's so important because just to be aware of the different emotional states that your loved one may be at, and. And uh, Kubler-Ross gives the different stages of shock, denial, fear, anger, depression, grief, and then finally understanding and acceptance. And understanding what stage they're in and really helping them cope because, you know, how do you survive the loss of your kidneys or the thought of the loss of your kidneys? And then, you know, help them learn and, and learn yourself. You don't always have to You can learn about a diet and just start making the right foods and the different things you want and maybe not always insist that they become, you know, an expert right now and help them because, again, if you're in different stages, you don't learn very well. And I think the other thing, and this is one of the biggest things that I could say to caregivers is or uh, people who, you know, are care partners who are trying to help somebody is just never forget to continue to talk about our future and what we should be doing. Like, oh, just put school on hold till you get better. like, No, no, no. Help us get excited about life and have something to look forward to. Because I know for me that is what's the most important thing. And I like art projects, my animals. Uh, of course, I love doing kidney talk. And I think it's really important that um, we help people who, you know, who've just been diagnosed or been diagnosed a long time to have something to look forward to and whatever that is invite them to a baseball game do something to to you know get them out and remember that they still have a life and and they can and do what they want it just uh, it's going to take a little time for them to feel like that so what is it take your mind and your body will follow or is it take your body and your mind will follow i think it's take your body and your mind will follow i'll let you decide <laughs> So, moving along to dialysis, th- this was interesting, but I get this. How do you deal with a cold or 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 cough and decongestions? And I mean, when you're told not to drink a lot of fluid, and I know it sucks because it's it's difficult. But you know, perhaps you need to really talk to your doctor and figure it out. But one thing I can say about having a cold, and you have to be really careful about this because, when any stage of kidney disease, we often want to go to the to the pharmacy and just get like a decongestant. And if you have any decongestants can make your high your blood pressure go higher. And there is a decongestant, talk to your doctor first, but you know, sometimes we think over the counter drugs that we don't need to let our doctor know that we're taking them and we do. But there's a a, a a decongestant called coracidin HBP, and it's a decongestant, and it's one that doesn't raise your blood pressure because if you are prone to high blood pressure anyways and you go and take a decongestant for a cold or cough, uh, it can can elevate your blood pressure, and you might be in the hospital for um, high blood pressure, and it was because of an over-counter medicine. So again, talk to your doctor, and he can give you or she can give you some advice. Well, um, we get this this question a lot, how do you pass the time during dialysis? And, you know, it's difficult. How do you pass the time on an airplane? <laughs> I I know for me that, um, you know, sleep was always good, watch TV. Um, and what's kind of crazy is I would sometimes do art projects. I would take something and I was into buttons at the time and I would weave buttons together and make necklaces. Um, I got into that app, zombies and... Plants for a while. I think that's the one I was playing that game, um, which don't ask me why. It's it's pretty, pretty. Uh, I don't know. The zombies are coming and getting you, and you're trying to kill them with the plants. Anyways, it's all very dramatic, but I think um, you need to figure out what you can do that you like to do. And I think if uh, luckily I have a transplant right now, but one of the things I think is really if you can bring an iPad with you or a smartphone, Pinterest is a great way. I mean, just create start creating boards <laughs> or uh, figure out a way, because sometimes it's not always easy to type when you're um, you know, you have your bloodlines put in and so but that really is, you know, you gotta find out what works for you. One of the questions, okay, another question we received is, and we get this a lot, is can I travel when I'm on dialysis? It depends on your insurance. I mean, if you have Medicare, you can go to any Medicare dialysis facility in the country. They don't really pay for you to go out of the country. Uh, that really depends on insurance. But uh, I know that you can travel. You need to talk to your facility. I mean, you have to get you have to plan. Um, you can't say, hey, I want to go to New York next week, set up dialysis for me. But um, if you give them adequate time, uh, they should be able to accommodate you. And then, you know, uh, I know a, a wonderful man, Bill Peckham. He's traveled all over the world on dialysis. I mean, you can Google Bill Peckham on our website, and you can find tons of articles how he's just a daredevil and, you know, went down the river with his dialysis machine. I mean, Grand Canyon, I mean, the guy is amazing. I think he's a little crazy sometimes, too. Like, how did he do that? But anyways, he's an inspiration. And I think that, um, you know, it's all about being prepared and understanding your body. Um, I was talking to my ophthalmologist, and uh, uh, she was on a flight, and they had to, you know, divert the flight because actually there was a, a person, a person who was on dialysis, who was going somewhere to travel, and he skipped a treatment, and he was so fluid overloaded, they had to divert the flight so because he was in congestive heart failure so one of the things when you travel you have to really know your body and what you know because you're eating out more different aspects of of how that's how that um like if you go to denver colorado you know if you're anemic you may it's a it's a mile high city when i traveled to the east coast i'm from um California so I don't have to deal with that humidity and it it really kind of you know made a difference when I I travel and uh, because I'm not used to it and then of course if you have a transplant you can travel Uh, we have a number of stories of people who've traveled all over the world you just have to be careful make sure you take your meds so yeah don't let that stop you go out and have a good time and visit family and great destinations another question we get is it possible to have a successful pregnancy while on dialysis I know of several people who've given birth on dialysis um, it's 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 not common it's uh, you have to be monitored a lot um, it's and you know when I was on dialysis in the 70s and 80s I mean that was like unheard of so you know one of the good news is is that it shows that the body is can become more normalized with dialysis. But um, you really should talk to your doctor about the risks and benefits of that before even considering it and what that may mean for you and your schedule for the next nine months and and the possible risks of to the child. But we do have a very inspiring article um, interview on our website called Pregnancy and Kidney Disease by Mandy Trollinger. She's had two transplants. She uh, it's Web ID eight six two, and she's explains um, she had a transplant and then what she went through to uh, have a child, and um, it's really inspiring, and you can glean a lot of information from that. Another question is: Can kidney disease or dialysis affect your personal relationships or dating life? Well, of course it can, <laughs> and I think one of the things that's so important. Is And every year I do a prom for all the teenagers with kidney disease. And and I I just celebrated in my 20th anniversary, my 20th wedding anniversary. And one of the things I've learned is that you have to be a really good communicator. You have to learn how to communicate your illness. You have to learn how to... you know, you're more than your illness. I mean, if you say, "Hey, I'm my, I'm Lori Hartwell, and I have kidney disease," Do you want to go out, and they're like, you know, I think they might like, as Rita redner says, leave skid marks. <laughs> but if you 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 have to come to terms with your own illness, you have to realize that everybody's got something, and if you wear your kidney disease as a you know a bandana around you know that's your whole life. Um, I think you are going to have difficulty because people aren't going to know how to relate to you as well. But you're more than your illness, and really focus on that. And I think you know, over time, then you can help share your illness with people and what it means to go through it because it is. It's. It's. Um, I know. Um, I'm very lucky. I've been married twenty years, but I dated a lot, and you know, a lot of the people I dated just couldn't handle my illness. They couldn't handle it. And lucky for me, they didn't, they couldn't, because just think if they did, if I would have gotten really sick, maybe they would have left. Maybe, you know, everybody has their own perspective of what they can handle. And I'm very lucky because I'm married to a wonderful man who's been through, I've had my knees replaced, I've had a transplant, I mean, and just loves me for for who I am. And so there's somebody out there for everybody. You just got to go knock on doors, put yourself out there because... I don't know of anybody who comes knocking at your door. And so you have to put yourself out there. And I know a lot of people who have kidney disease who found people on um, dating websites. And and so uh, put yourself out there. Uh, I think we have time for a couple more questions. Boy, we have a lot of them. But I'm going to, um, I think, answer two more questions. And I think one of them would be, we get this, why do I have to take my transplant meds twice a day? And... One of the things I've learned is that, you know, you're going to have a prescribed time to take your meds. And I, I take them at 10 o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock at night. That's what I like to do. And, you know, you have a little bit of hour. I always have an hour wiggle room. But it's become such a routine for me. And and now I even believe that, that some of the pharmaceutical companies are coming out for one-time-a-day transplant meds. So talk to your transplant team about that if you are interested. But the real key is why do you take it? Is you're you're maintaining levels in your body to protect your um, your kidney, and it, it's a certain level of like tacrolimus, mycophenolate, different things that are in your body. You know, it could be cyclosporin. I don't know all the different names, but uh, it could be that you know you have a certain level, so it just suppresses your immune system, so your um, body can't reject the kidney because no matter. What happens, the body always thinks it's like when you have a splinter in your finger. It just wants to get rid of it. And perhaps in perfect match situations, it, it wouldn't, you know, try to push it out. But when you have a transplant, there's always a risk that your body can reject it. And what happens is is when you miss a dose here or you miss a dose there or you think it's not a big deal, that level becomes very, very unstable. And your body will slowly start to create antibodies, and it'll start creating a, a system to fight that kidney. And it's really important to keep those levels, just like a diabetic would keep their insulin levels normal. And and you need to get your blood checked to make sure you're at the right levels periodically, according to what your doctor recommends. But what I've learned, and this is just this scares me to death, because when you don't take your medicine regularly, and let's say you lose your transplant because you don't take your medication, what happens is your body creates a super strong antibody response. And you end up losing the transplant. You go back on dialysis. And when you go to get another transplant, it's extremely difficult because you have created these monster antibodies. And people have asked me, you know, Laura, you've had four transplants. And I have 100% antibodies, but my antibodies were able to be controlled with a, something called desensitization. And I just celebrated my sixth year of my transplant. My creatinine's great. But when I had my first transplant, my first transplant didn't work, and they took it out pretty much immediately. My second kidney worked for about six weeks, but it came with an infection that from the donor. So, um... They just had to take that kidney out. So I've had two transplants, but I never really created any really strong, strong antibodies because I didn't take my meds. My third kidney, I got a deceased donor, and it lasted over 20 years, but it just started to putter out. And um, it, it never really—I always took my meds. I was, like, diligent, like, you know, just afraid for my life after I had those other two and I got a third transplant. And my third kidney, I basically, um, you know, it just started to putter out because it got old. And I always took my medicine. So when I went to get my fourth kidney, I had 100% antibodies, but they were manageable. And the doctor explained to me is because I took my medicine all the time. And I never put my body into that type of a situation where I had to viscerally fight because I had low levels of my medication in my body. So um, I know it's hard and, you know, I know what it's like to feel young or just want to say, oh, I don't want to take it, but can have dire consequences for your future of, of perha- perhaps losing that transplant and finding it would it, be very difficult to get another transplant. And then uh, one of the questions I get a lot because I was desensitized to get my transplant and what was that like? Well, I can't really answer that, and, uh, you know, that would probably take a whole show. But I would say that, you know, I'm so grateful for medical innovation. And what desensitization means is that, you know, I've been sick a very long time. I've had a lot of blood transfusions, and I'm my body is strong. It likes t- to, you know, fight things. And what it means to be desensitized is they give you a, a series of medications, a cocktail. I like to call it cocktail. You know, let's, let's like have happy hour at nine a.m. in the morning with an IV, and uh, <laughs> um, and they give you a co- like they'll give you like IVIG, and IVIG can have some side effects. It's like a you know a four to six hour infusion, and IVIG really is just antibodies from like a thousand people. And what it does is it basically, like, I have my antibodies and I have some stronger ones. Well, they infuse me with this IVIG, and it just crowds it, makes those antibodies weaker because they're in a bigger crowd now of other antibodies. And all of these, there's different types of medication that they give you to help, you know, put your antibodies at rest or put them in a stealth mode. And, you know, it's not very fun to go through the infusions. I've, you know, gotten some headaches and— but. At the end of the day it's so worth it. I've been transplanted over 6 years and and I I would do anything. I mean if they'd probably told me to snort the stuff I probably would snort the stuff at this point because I want to do everything possible to keep this transplant as long as I can. And I'm so grateful to all the doctors and people who innovate to make, you know, so many lives possible because it's a miracle. I'm here uh, 48 years of having this illness. I had my first dialysis treatment in 1968. So, um, I'm here to tell everybody they can live a very successful life with this illness. You have to be dedicated. You have to learn about it. You have to um, be diligent. And, you know, you know, I date doctors. I don't know if you know what that is, but I date doctors. I mean, I potentially need an ankle replacement in the future. And I have been dating this doctor for two years. I go and see him regularly. And I I want to be comfortable that if I ever decide to do a surgery like that, that I know this doctor. And that's one of the real keys people have to understand. You have to build relationships with healthcare professionals because I want to ensure whoever I entrust my life with that I, I feel like I trust them. And I don't want to, if possible, you can't always do this, but wait till the last minute where I don't have that opportunity to build a relationship. So, so if you get an opportunity and you need to see a new doctor, you know, t- make enough appointments where you can get an opportunity to date them. I won't tell my husband about this, but um, maybe he'll hear this show. So, so, I hope this was helpful. This, um, you know, I'm very excited. Um, my name is Lori Hartwell. I, I love doing kidney talk. I love hearing from you. I love... Love all aspects of helping my peers live the best life possible. So send me an email, provide me some feedback, and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own healthcare provider regarding your medical condition.